0: Welcome to the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. If you're just a beginning gardener or you want good gardening information, well, you've come to the right spot. It can take quite a while to grow a pepper plant from seed to outdoor transplanting stage 12 to 16 weeks, but we can help you speed up that process considerably with tips from our favorite retired horticulture professor, Debbie Flower. And we start a new segment on the show today. It's called the Plant of the Week. And for that, we turn to one of the most knowledgeable horticulturists in the world, Warren Roberts of the UC Davis Arboretum. And we talk blackberries, how to grow them, how to trellis them. Find out about all this on episode 71 of the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. And we're going to do it all in under 30 minutes. Let's go. We answer your emails here on the Garden Basics with Farmer Fred podcast. We are joined by Debbie Flower, our favorite college horticulture professor, retired. And a question comes in from Maxine. Maxine wants to know, I just got my order from a seed company. It's lots of pepper varieties. Can I go ahead and start them? You know, Debbie, I think if you plant, it depends where you are. Again, we go back to our typical answer. It depends. And I guess you would uh, time a pepper seed planting for about what, 12 weeks before you would plant them outdoors?
1: Yes, eight is the minimum, but 12, I used to time nine to 12 for sure to start the seed and get them to grow out. Other part to consider is how long it takes for them to germinate. Sometimes pepper seeds can take three weeks to germinate. So there's a lot of wiggle room in when to start it. Peppers like soil very warm. So starting later is probably a better thing than starting earlier, unless you're prepared to keep them in some kind of a warm place like a greenhouse or a sheltered room. Indoors is not really great. They just don't develop as well once they're big. So I would favor 12 weeks to uh, once they're up plus, let's say, two weeks of germination.
0: Mm-hmm. And there are some tricks to getting them to germinate a little bit sooner. One of my favorite uh, tricks is to use what's called a propagation mat, sort of a heating pad for seeds. And it keeps the bottom heat about 70 degrees or thereabouts. And that can hasten germination by a few days.
1: Absolutely. I love the bottom heat for starting seeds of almost anything, especially our vegetables, which are tend to be uh, tropical So, uh, or if they're not tropical, they just like to live in a warm place. And so that warm soil and and the room can be cool if the soil is warm. It's really all about soil temperature.
0: Now, I guess you could start pepper seeds indoors in January if you live in USDA Zone 9, because if you start them in January, then February, March, April, late April, they'd be ready to go outside. Peppers, though, as we know, like it a little bit warmer than tomatoes and probably should be set out a little bit later.
1: Yes yes when the temperature of the soil is that much warmer yes the other thing you talked about one thing that will hasten their germination which is the bottom heat another is to soak the seeds themselves in hydrogen peroxide for about 10 minutes hydrogen peroxide is water h2o plus an extra oxygen so hydrogen peroxide is h2o2 and i have read this in multiple places and i tried it with my students i don't have a controlled scientific experiment that shows it works but it it definitely increased the germination and made the germination quicker we could pretty reliably get a pepper crop out of the ground from seed not a crop but a plants i mean a crop of plants out of the ground uh, and have their first uh, leaves out of the uh, above the ground in about a week
0: one thing we didn't mention about starting pepper seeds you want to start them in a seed starting mix
1: Always a seed starting mix. Yes, they're small seeds. They need to have excellent drainage, which that seed starting mix provides. And they need to be able to push their little plant out of the ground. Uh, And the seed starting mix is very lightweight and and will roll right off of their body parts as they come up.
0: So to get to a transplantable size, you need to be growing those pepper seeds in a warm spot and a sunny location for about 12 weeks. And then you're going to be good to go.
1: Right. And the other thing to add to that spot is about 10 minutes of wind a day. Ah, yes. Tell us about that. Wind is, uh, plants are developed to sustain wind. They live outdoors and wind allows them to develop what's called their reaction wood. Peppers don't have any wood, but it's reaction tissue. So it's it's a type of cell that gives them structure, makes the stem stronger. If you grow them indoors without wind, everything else is perfect. Temperature, light, water, nutrition, everything else is perfect. They will get very soft stems that will fall over and the plant will not stand up straight. Add 10 minutes of wind. And this was done on tomatoes and it wasn't wind. It was somebody went into the greenhouse and shook the table for 10 minutes. <laughs> Yeah. Grad students get all the good jobs and it made the stems stronger and it has proven to work for other seedlings as well. Makes sense to me because seedlings are are native to outdoors where there is wind on a regular basis. So uh, a fan, I have one in my greenhouse on a timer and it goes off. It's a oscillating fan. So it will go back and forth and get all different parts of the greenhouse. And I run it for about a half an hour, hoping that everything gets enough wind to make strong stems.
0: You run it for half an hour at one time, or you divide that half hour up into shorter increments throughout the day?
1: Nope, just do it at one time.
0: Okay, just a half hour.
1: Yeah. I, I had a, a seed starting setup in the guest room in my last house where I hung fluorescent lights from the ceiling on a chain so I could raise and lower them. Because if you're going to use fluorescent lights to as your light additional light source, there was a window... And then the fluorescent light, they need to be, fluorescent lights need to be very, very close within inches of the tops of the plants. And as the plants grow, I could raise the light. I had a table with a heat pad on it, and then on the bed was an oscillating fan, and it was plugged into the wall with a timer. So that was my seat starting setup before I had a greenhouse.
0: Your kids might use LED lights.
1: Yeah, I know. They're lucky. you could, too. (laughs) I can now, but I have a greenhouse now. So light is not the limiting factor anymore.
0: Exactly. Yeah. Hobby greenhouse. If you're looking to make that next step in gardening, think about a greenhouse because you can just you can grow year round in it. You can grow not just vegetables and edibles, but flowering plants. You can get an early start on flowering plants for the summer, the zinnias and marigolds, petunias. And you're going to find seed varieties many times over the varieties you would find as plants at the nursery. Very interesting, very colorful that are only available via seed. So a greenhouse can really expand your gardening horizons.
1: Yes, it can. It's a lot of fun.
0: So there you go. For you, those of you in USDA zones nine, you want to get those pepper seeds started in January, maybe late till wait till late February to start tomato seeds. And for those of you that live in maybe USDA zone seven or eight or even lower than that, what's your typical planting day outside? Is it Mother's Day? Maybe it's uh, flag day in June. And for some of you far northerners, it, it might be the 4th of July. Well, just count backwards. 12 to 14 weeks for peppers and maybe eight weeks for tomatoes and get those seeds started. Debbie Flower, we found out a lot today. Thank you.
1: Oh, it's a pleasure, Fred. Thank you.
0: Welcome to the Plant of the Week segment. We are talking with Warren Roberts. He's the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum here in California. And we're going to be talking about plants that have wide appeal across a lot of the United States, and plants that might be doing special this time of year. And Warren, uh, let's uh, kick off the Plant of the Week segment with maybe a a very uh, heavenly plant, like uh, heavenly bamboo. Uh,
2: Heavenly heavenly bamboo, the Nandina domestica, which is native to um, Eastern Asia, China, Japan, and in that area. And the name Nandina comes from the Japanese... Common name for the plant, which is nan ten, nanten, N A N T N. and in Japan, it is uh, traditional to plant one near the entrance to your house. It means welcome. And I suppose if you if you go by a house and there's no nandina there, maybe maybe you're not welcome. Yes, All right. <laughs> but but that has uh, that tradition has caught hold a, a bit in California too, but uh, and the northwest of California of the United States because of the Japanese culture in, in those areas. And it's called a bamboo because it looks kind of like a bamboo, kind of. It has canes kind of like a bamboo. But it's not a grass, whereas a bamboo is a grass. and nandina is a plant that uh, produces cl- little clouds of white flowers in the spring and summer, and then red berries. That is the typical form. And the red berries are on the plant, Uh, and during the holidays, so they add to the festive nature of that time of year, they last a long time. Now, if you have Nandina in your garden, you might want to plant other plants that produce berries during that time of year because Nandina berries, berries are somewhat poisonous to birds. It's only a problem if that's the only food source. Now, Nandinas come in many different sizes, all the way from little bonsai cultivars that are only a couple of inches high all the way to uh, the typical form, which gets up eight feet or more. The leaves are compound, and uh, they have a kind of a slightly ferny look to them. Altogether, the plant is beautiful. Now, some people think it's kind of common. Well, it's common because it's succe- It's successful. You know, nothing succeeds like success. It has an important place in the, the gardens of many parts of the of the world, there are forms where the leaves will turn red in the winter time, and then those same leaves will turn green again when the weather warms up. And I have a plant that has it's almost a cloud of red leaves right right now in the winter, so I'm very fond of it. It's very useful. Some of them will spread underground rather aggressively, so you want to look out for that. But most of them are clumpers, and they they Pretty much stay put. It's always best to let the plant's natural shape be uh, what what you're looking for. I've seen sometimes I've seen them pruned so they lose all gracefulness, but in its natural form, the plant is very graceful looking
0: heavenly bamboo, the Nandina domestica, is a fairly hardy plant. It loses its leaves at about 10 degrees Fahrenheit. Stems are damaged at five degrees, but it usually recovers fast. So it's widely adaptable uh, throughout much of the uh, Sunbelt areas and even into uh,
2: areas of uh, southern Ohio. And I remember even seeing some successful in Palm Springs, California, (laughs) With a little afternoon shade, I might add. Yeah. I
0: I would hope so.
2: (laughs) And actually, uh, Nandina does well in sun and and, uh, shade, bright shade, I would say. And there are some forms that produce no berries at all. Many of those have these beautiful red... The leaves all all year
0: the nandina domestica it's a great plant with a lot of uses makes for a good cut flower too if you want to cut the branches off with the berries on them and bring them inside for the holidays it really uh, stays a, a long time in a vase the nandina domestica heavenly bamboo a show for january you might want to give it a try. Warren Roberts is the superintendent emeritus of the UC Davis Arboretum. Find out more about the Arboretum. Visit their website, arboretum.ucdavis.edu. Warren, thanks for your help on the plant of the week. Well, Fred, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you very much. We're talking with Phil Purcell from Dave Wilson Nursery. We're getting the lowdown about the plants that are arriving at your local nurseries or will be arriving soon, berry plants, fruit trees, and so much more. Let's talk about blackberries. A lot of great blackberry varieties. Uh, These plants get a little bigger, though, than blueberry plants, and so they probably need some sort of a trellis system.
3: Blackberries, everyone sees them on the the roadside where they kind of take over the whole area. So they are a sprawling vine, and they do need support. With the blackberry, except for uh, one of the bush berries, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But generally speaking, blackberries need to go into the ground, and it's going to need a little bit of area to cover to produce.
0: Now, what about blackberries and the need for multiple varieties? Are they like blueberries? If you plant more than one blackberry variety, will that increase fruit production?
3: You know, blackberries are pretty much self-fruitful, but like like we said with the, the blueberries, if you can get other varieties out there, you can get cross-pollination, your yield would just will just, you know, increase substantially.
0: The nice thing about blackberries is these are large, extra-firm berries, great flavor, great on cereal in the morning. If if you adapt a care schedule, shall we put it, early on in your uh, Blackberry existence, uh, you can keep them fairly well under control. One place with really good information is called the California Garden Web. It's produced by the University of California Ag and Natural Resources Department. And if you look up the information called Growing Berries in Your Backyard, they have some excellent advice about... Uh, pruning blackberries. If you have trailing blackberries during the first growing season, use the trellis to support the new canes growing from the plant crowns. Tie or wrap the canes around the wires. and These canes will bloom and produce the first crop the following spring. In the spring, trailing blackberries produce vigorous shoots called primocanes, and those grow along the ground. Keep those trained on the ground beneath the bearing canes to prevent injury. At the same time, the two-year-old canes, which are called floricanes, which grew the previous season and are trained on the trellis, will bloom and produce the first crop. Right after harvest, cut off all of the floricanes near the ground and remove them from the trellis, leaving eight to twelve of the sturdiest primacanes on each plant to bear fruit the next spring. Wrap the canes around the trellis, from which all of the floricanes have been removed, Wrap one or two primacanes at a time in a spiral around the wires of the trellis, working each way from the plant. All other canes are cut back to the ground. Each year, primocanes should be cut back or headed to 8 to 10 feet long. Heading the canes forces lateral shoot growth that bears next year's crop. For erect blackberries, erect types produce stiff, upright new canes, the primacanes from the crown that arch over after they grow about 5 to 6 feet long. During the growing season, when the primocanes are approximately three feet tall, pinch off the top one to two inches. These canes will produce branches that will produce fruit the next year. Alternatively, the canes can be left unheaded and wrapped around the wires for fruiting next year. Then immediately after harvest, remove the flora canes. Thin the primocanes to three or four of the strongest canes per plant. And again, you can find this information. I know that sounded confusing, but you can find it uh, spelled out very easily at the UCANR uh, webpage called California Garden Web and look for the page entitled Growing Berries in Your Backyard. Now, one simple trick that works for a lot of people, pay attention to those canes that bear fruit and mark that cane either with some light paint or maybe tie a little ribbon around it. That way, you know which canes to remove at the end of the season because those canes won't produce again. One thing that makes pruning blackberries much easier is choosing thornless blackberries. And there's some really tasty thornless blackberry varieties out there. And I think uh, Dave Wilson probably has uh, the black
3: satin thornless. We do. Yeah, we have triple crown. And very good point. You know, the commercial blackberry growers they're able to, to harvest what we call thorny blackberries. We do grow thorny blackberries for the home garden market. But by far, the homeowner is now looking for thornless blackberries because it's just easy to harvest. You don't have to worry about scratching yourself or any type of danger. So the trend now is for the backyard to, to go with thornless varieties. We even have a thornless boysenberry. berry. And uh, there's some really good varieties, like you said, crown, black satin, chester, that, uh, you know, will give you plenty of fruit. And then you don't have the inconvenience of thorns out there. But at the same time, you know, we still have marion berries, malala berries, people who grew up with those. And, you know, those have thorns. It's a little more challenging to to harvest the fruit.
0: Yeah, I was looking at the sizes of the berries on these uh, thornless varieties, the black satin thornless blackberry. Has large berries that can get up to two inches long, and that triple crown thornless blackberry uh, basically can produce what thirty pounds of fruit per vine.
3: It does, yeah. So they're they're heavy producers. That's what makes them ideal for the home gardener: is that they're thornless. There's nothing like getting uh, picking the 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 blackberries right when you want it, as opposed to getting them in the container. And if you don't eat them all at the same time, they you know they can start bolting out. But, you know, 30 pounds is generally enough for, you know, family of five or six with plenty of blackberries.
0: And they don't all ripen at the same time either, do they?
3: They don't. So that's just it. It's all about, you know, think about it for your uh, edible garden, successive ripening. You don't want everything ripening at the same time.
0: Exactly. A lot of great blackberry varieties. And the good news, too, is after you harvest them, uh, they will last in the refrigerator for, what, a week or two.
3: They do. And then there's a new variety out and it's put out by Bush Berry, and it's called baby cake. So let's say, you know, if if you're uh you have a small garden, but you don't have room for a vine blackberry, this variety is a self-fertile bush variety of, of blackberry. It's perfect to put in in a container along with your, your blueberries and such. It's, you know, it'll give you not a ton of fruit, but it'll give you some fruit and something interesting to put in a container. And you don't have to worry about the sprawling vine because it grows as a small little bush.
0: Yeah, exactly. So, what is like three to four feet?
3: It is. Yeah. So there are now blackberries for all different types of uh, homeowners, whether you're uh, in a, a smaller condominium or apartment, or I have bush blackberries in pots in my yard. I have a regular sized yard. It's just something I don't have to worry about it getting out of control. And it gives me blackberries and some interest out in the patio.
0: We should point out, too, blackberries are widely adaptable, too. There isn't much in the way of chill hour requirements for most blackberry varieties, is there?
3: There isn't. When you say adaptable, that's a great way of saying, you know, these blackberries, because it's low chill doesn't mean that it doesn't do well in high chill areas. Low chill, so you can do it, you know, you can do it even in Florida or Southern California. Or need be, you know, you can do it in the upper Midwest. So that's the nice thing about blackberries is, you know, they're they're very, very adaptable.
0: If you want a good encyclopedia of growing fruit trees, I would direct you to DaveWilson.com, their website, not only is there a lot of written information there, but their series of videos—they call them the Fruit Tube videos—can take you from planting to harvest and uh, and caring for the tree uh, throughout the growing season. It's also available on YouTube as well. But uh, visit DaveWilson.com for a whole host of, of very good, accurate information about growing uh, fruit vines and nuts, uh, no matter where you live, wherever a Dave Wilson product can be found, which is most of the United States. Phil Purcell, we learned a lot today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. All right. You've purchased some blackberry plants. Now you need to trellis them to provide some blackberry supports. Here's some great ideas from the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center just to know we recorded this before everybody had to wear masks and nobody was allowed to be seen in public or something like that. You know what I mean? We're here at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center in the wintertime and without leaves, you can really see structures that work. And I'm looking at a blackberry setup, a way to grow blackberries that I find really interesting. And I think for a lot of people, it would be a great way to to do it at home. It involves growing blackberries in containers, but with an excellent trellising and watering system. We're talking with Master Gardener Tamara Engel. And and Tamara, tell us a little bit about this system for blackberries. You have four, I guess, different blackberry varieties here, and they're being grown in half-barrels
4: yes they're being grown in half barrels which blackberries grow really well in barrels that that's not a problem at all for them um so it's it's a a a great way to do it if you don't have the space directly in your ground Um, they like nice organic soil so that works great and then as uh, you can't see on the radio but we have a uh, really simple irrigation hose that comes across and allows them to get the water that they need. So that's another, another, again, another easy way to do it so you don't have to do anything underground. It's just a drip system hose.
0: Well, let's uh, go into a bit of detail about uh the barrels, the soil. What I really like about the half barrels is I bet there's really good drainage because these barrels are not resting on the ground. You have them on some pretty sizable stones or bricks that are four to six inches high. And so that means that the the holes in the bottom of the barrel uh, aren't going to get clogged probably. And the drip system too. These, these are sizable drip tubes. This isn't your standard half inch tubing. This looks to be like three quarters or maybe even one inch. And it looks to be you've got you got two parallel drip lines running the length of this trellising system going across four different half barrels. Mm-hmm. There are two emitters per line, which means a total of four emitters per barrel. And uh, I'm just guessing here are those one gallon emitters or two gallon emitters?
4: You know, I'm not sure if they're one gallon or two gallon. But, but basically,
0: this is a good way to go about it. Yes. The soil in here you mentioned is organic soil or at least made up of organic ingredients. A
4: lot of organic matter. Um, Berries do like things to be a little bit on the acidic side. Mm -hmm. and, And, you know, giving them a nice start with nice mixed organic material is the way to give them a good start in life.
0: Really, I know for blueberries, a a good mix that uh, can get the pH down to 5.5, which might be a little too low for uh, blackberries, would be a mix of uh, well-saturated peat moss, perhaps uh, some small bark and of course uh, a camellia azalea rhododendron soil mix which is uh, tends to be on the acidic side so if you're looking for a, a premix that's one way to go about it all right let's talk about the um, the supports for this now this is what i really like is uh, the fact that you have a trellising system with two 4x4s four that are vertical and they stand about 7 feet tall. Mm-hmm. And then you've got 2x4s attached to two points, one about, uh, I'd say, 2 feet from the ground and the one about uh, 5, 6 feet from the ground. And you've got wires. These are strong, I'd say 12 gauge wires on turnbuckles that go across and you've got the wires going from the top of the barrel. The first wire is about 18 inches from the top of the barrel. The next wire up going across the middle of the barrel is probably four and a half, five feet. And then there's two more but spaced a little closer together one foot apart so the the tallest wire maxes out at about seven feet or so so that gives you a vertical area to tie the vines to. and then at the end of the two by fours and these two by fours are probably about three and a half feet long that are attached uh, horizontally at the two points i mentioned you've got two more wires coming out of them and running the length of the bed. And uh, I would think with a system like this, and the fact that these 4x4s are embedded in concrete. This ain't going nowhere. Yeah.
4: No, this isn't going anywhere, as you said. So we have a similar setup at home, except our berries are in a raised bed instead of in individual pots, but we have almost the exact same trellis system. And a couple things I want to point out about it that I think are really helpful. Um, this one, as you said, it's really stabilized by the fact that it's in concrete. There's also a giant metal pole that looks like almost like a closet rod going from uh, between the two, the two end posts, and that keeps those from falling over. And then you mentioned the turnbuckles as well, which is really helpful because as you can imagine over time, as these things start to weigh down uh, the wires, being able to tighten or loosen those wires is pretty key. So we have that similar setup at home. And right now all the berries are pruned back, so you can see the whole setup very clearly. But when they get going, especially if you get a little bit lazy about pruning, like some of us always do, um, you know, this will fill up completely with these vines. And it's a really good stable support system. It keeps the berries up off the ground, which is always nicer, you know, when you're uh, harvesting so you don't have everything hanging over on the ground. And then the other... um, great thing about this system here at the Horticulture Center is this allows us when we have those really screaming hot days in the summer and these are in full sun, we can put shade cloth mm. over them when the berries are really ripe. While the berries do enjoy full sun, we find that when they're just about ripe and they're getting too much blast of a sun or you know those hot, windy days, uh, it can actually cause the berries to dry out just before you get to pick them, which is always a drag. So we put some shade cloth up over here um, on those peak hot days.
0: Yeah, that would be easy to do because it's all within easy reach. And because of the... uh Length of the, these 2x4 uh, crossbars, it, it would drape over the entire plant very easily. I'm glad you mentioned this galvanized 1-inch steel pipe that is running at about 5.5 uh, feet tall from one vertical support to the other. And we should point out that uh, this area is probably three, six, nine, twelve, 12, maybe 14 or 15 feet long. Yep. And that, that uh, galvanized steel pipe does an excellent job of uh, supporting the supports so that when the turnbuckles and the weight of the branches won't cause these to fold in. Exactly. So that's really nice. But you got that interesting in a hole on either side. So you had to put one in, one, and then bring up the support for the other to put it in?
4: You know, I hate to say it, Fred, but I wasn't here when they built this one. And uh, the one we have at home does not have that feature. So I'm not sure. But yeah, I'm assuming that's how they did it. Yeah,
0: Tamara Engel, we've learned a lot about how to support blackberries. Thanks so much. Thanks, Fred. By the way, if you want to see pictures of the blackberry trellis at the Fair Oaks Horticulture Center to give an idea of what we're talking about, look for that link in today's show notes. The Garden Basics podcast is going to a winter schedule, maybe just like your favorite local nursery. November through January, Garden Basics will come out once a week on Fridays. Then as the weather warms back up in February, we'll return to our twice a week schedule. Thank you for listening, subscribing, and leaving comments. We appreciate that you've included us in your garden life.